We're kicking off our Smart Speaker Series on this Friday afternoon. And joining us on this unprecedented Friday, Genevieve Tomney, Vice President, Public Affairs at Proof Strategies, Bruce Arthur, Toronto Star columnist, and Aaron Morrison, longtime political strategist, principal at Morrison Comms. This has been uh, a day that uh, will hopefully lead to more, but what a time these uh, some Israeli hostages being released by Hamas today, uh, traded for Palestinian detainees, women and children who have been held in Israel. Uh, the youngest hostage taken that was released today, taken on October 7th, is two, the oldest, 85. Jen, I'm thinking about you and the conversations we've had on the Smart Speakers panel since October 7th. How are you doing? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a lot to process today. There was one um, scene that I saw full, unfold with um, a mom and that two-year-old you were talking about and, and four-year-old um, hostages who were released. And, you know, you can't help but think what that experience must have been like, what she must have gone through to keep her children safe and to be able to get them on the other side of this. I think it's also just been such a reminder um, that, anything that happens in this, you know, really awful situation that's unfolding in the Middle East is, um, you know, is a, is a reminder that even a glimmer of hope, it just kind of further highlights the, the heartache and, and the pain that continues. And obviously, um, thinking about the, the families who are not seeing their loved ones come home today and how difficult that is. And, um, you know, looking at a, a brief, um, pause in fighting um, that is really seemingly going to be just that. And I think there just continues to be um, so much pain and so much heartache and, and so much uh, ground that still needs to be covered to get everybody home safely um, and to figure out a path forward to peace. And, and that's where my mind is going, despite a small, small glimmer of hope today. Aaron, where's your mind been going today? Uh, really well said, Jen. I have so little to add to that, um, aside from to say, I think we just all have bated breath right now. Is this going to hold for four days? What happens next? And I have to say the thought that's been going through my mind all day long is who on earth kidnaps a two-year-old? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Bruce? Uh, I would echo that how Jen put that was was exemplary. Um, I would add that when something like this happens, it shrinks what is such a sprawling and difficult and ugly and dispiriting and terrifying and awful conflict with all the hot button uh, kind of hate and anger and fear that it's it's popped up, that it's activated around the world. And it shrinks it back down to people, right? Like the people who were taken that day on October 7th by Hamas, who quite probably saw some of their loved ones die that day, um, who have been in captivity for weeks, uh, who are finally being returned. Like, that is an incredible moment and an incredible hardship and something truly awful. But what that makes me think about is the stuff that Jen talked about, is how much death and destruction and fear and in human actions we've seen in the last 40 days. Um, and that, that starts with Hamas, and it includes the bombardment of Gaza. It includes the thousands dead, the thousands of dead children in Gaza. 
It includes those families that were ripped apart, who were not part of Hamas crossing the border that day. Um, the path to peace is, I think, what everybody wants. And I think the way that Jen put it, a glimmer of hope, that's what today felt like, glimmer of hope. But there is so far to go. And I still don't see any path to even this operation ending well. Mm. Um, so peace is a long way past that. I hear you, Bruce. We were just speaking with Fareed Khan, the founder of Canadians United Against Hate, and he mentioned that Canadian media uh, will not refer to the region as Palestine. We talked about that, and uh, I asked him if he wanted to see that change. So I wonder, uh, Jen, do you think there's a role in mainstream media in uh, addressing any gaps or any issues that have come up since October 7th? I mean, look, I think there's been a lot of... um criticism of mainstream media and again you know in in the context of how they've referred to Hamas um the Canadian government calls Hamas a terrorist organization many mainstream media outlets do not I think you know to Bruce's point um I think what what a lot of this does is it just further fans the flames of um hurt and uh and hate um, that we're seeing here at home in Canada. And I think that's the most dispiriting part to me right now. I know yesterday there were some charges laid in, in that horrific um, hate graffiti that appeared outside the Indigo um, in downtown Toronto. And it just makes me think that, you know, the more that we, um, you know, language matters mm. and and I think the way that we use it matters and I think that the way it manifests here at home matters and um and you know I think that's my biggest concern right now is is seeing communities that are experiencing so much fear um in Canada in Toronto because of words and language and 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 that is is very hard to hard to see Bruce, there are people in newsrooms challenging the status quo. What do you think? I think in this particular case, in the CTV case, they're saying don't say Palestine. Instead, refer to it as Gaza and the West Bank. That's what it is right now. I think that's correct. I think we have seen an attempt to work the refs on both sides. This is an example of working the refs in a way that favors uh, the Palestinian viewpoint. Um, we have seen other outlets working the refs to change how Israel is um, is reflected in the media. This is a really hard thing because every time you talk about this, there are so many nuances um, in terms of Israel, in terms of Gaza, in terms of the history of it, in terms of who is right and who is wrong. I kind of hew as much as I can, and I've said this before on the show, to the most moral center that I can and the most accurate center that I can, and it will never please everybody. And that's the thing with this is this is one of the first things in my lifetime. Well, maybe not the first thing. It's one of the things that has caused people to take sides at a rate that I don't think I've ever seen in terms of public policy stuff um, and in terms of a split. Uh, and it is really fascinating and dispiriting to watch. And I, all I could ask is that everyone who's in a position of responsibility try to turn the temperature down because we saw the data on hate crimes in, in Toronto, mm -hmm. anti-Semitic, anti-Arab, anti-Muslim. Um, and they're soaring. And that's a fraction of what's actually happening. Everybody has a responsibility to try to keep that from happening in our community.
Yeah. Have the conversations, right? Engage with everyone. Erin, are you finding that these conversations about media coverage are, are coming up? Yeah, I am. I'm finding that people are having a hard time um, with the language. They're having a hard time with language exactly like CTV is talking about is, are we saying Palestine? Are we saying Gaza? Um, That one's uh, not terribly difficult to navigate because there are facts at hand. But even when you're talking about language, like do we say political prisoner or do we say kidnap victim? Um, It is uh, a minefield. And I have a lot of empathy for journalists who are working on this story, uh, whether they're covering it uh, internationally or sort of covering the effects here, uh, like the horrible vandalism of the Indigo books right here in Toronto. It is a it is a hard uphill slog to sort out how to do this in the most fair and responsible and balanced way. So hats off to journalists. And I think we should all just give each other a lot of patience and grace uh, as we're all sorting through this ourselves. Oh, and hats off to all of you for meeting me here on Fridays and having these honest conversations and discussions. I appreciate uh, the thought leadership here on our Smart Speakers panel. We're going to take a break for traffic and then we'll reconvene with Aaron Morrison, Bruce Arthur and Genevieve Tomney. Uh, There's much to talk about here in Ontario as well. The Premier had a news conference defending the use of foreign workers at the Stellantis battery plant. He says he's still going to provide the jobs that he promised in offering those subsidies to Stellantis to keep the production of that battery plant going. And Bonnie Crombie has some things to say about Doug Ford as well. So let's talk about the Premier coming up here on The Rush. Reconvening our Smart Speaker series, we have Genevieve Tomney, Bruce Arthur, and Aaron Morrison. The Premier held a news conference in the 905 today, and he was asked about the foreign workers being brought in to help at the Stellantis battery plant. This is where the province and the feds offered very big carrots for these guys to keep building the battery plant. Well, there will be Canadian workers. They promised 2,500 Canadian workers. They're going to uh, deliver 2,500 Canadian workers. But when you're building a battery plant, well, first of its kind, the technology, they understand the technology. They're only coming here part-time. They're going to set up the plant. They're going to do the training, and then they're going to go back. It's no different than someone buying a press. You have people over to set it up, train it, and then move forward. But that's going to that's gonna have spin-off jobs of, of 7 to 1, 8 to 8 to 1. It's going to create uh, over 10,000 uh, spin-off jobs, and it's great for the, the people of uh, Windsor and southwestern Ontario, and we're quite excited about it. Is that like conservatives can be different things all at once, in that the premier sounds very different than the leader of the Federal Conservative Party of Canada on this, Bruce? I mean, I will. you know, I'm not a Doug Ford defender in general, um, as you may know, uh, but the, I, I find the, the kind of the furor around this particular battery plant, these particular workers, to be odd. It started out with Windsor Police basically putting out a tweet saying there was going to be a whole lot of temp- of workers coming to work in the factory. And people lost their minds. And now it seems that there are going to be temporary workers who are com- going to come into the country, set up the plant, and leave. Um, I'm not saying that the Stellantis plant is a good idea, necessarily. The, the amount of subsidies involved versus the jobs that will be created. Um, You better create the jobs you say if you're going to pay that much money to get the plant in in the first place. But we in this country, because there's a culture of secrecy, because things aren't properly communicated from any level of government, we wind up with like kind of tempests and teapots to fill this kind of void. If If you need these workers to set up the plant, then you need these workers to set up the plant. Why didn't we know that beforehand? 
Um, that to me is kind of the lesson of this. Uh, the fact that we're going to pay as much money as we are, I mean, that's a conversation to me for another day. Is there deserved uproar about foreign workers coming in at all, Aaron? Uh, I think there's deserved uproar around Premier Ford pretending he's kind of surprised about this. We're talking about a billion dollars in taxpayer money going to Stellantis. Uh, you might remember Doug Ford initially trying to take a lot of credit for this deal, saying, oh, uh, last night I was up till 2 a.m. pouring over this and working hard to get it done. Did he did he not read the contract? Was this just was this just, uh, you know, a handshake and a smile like these things get worked out contractually speaking before you sign over Ontario's portion of the billion dollar check. Ontario's portion being about a third and that billion dollars is for both of Stellantis operations now in Ontario. So for me, there are two reasons why you might make a billion dollar investment uh, to bring Stellantis here. And one is to create good jobs for Ontarians. Just this one Windsor location was supposed to create 2,500 jobs. And the second is to establish Ontario as the place you got to be if you want to build electric vehicles. And I think having the expertise come in and out, as opposed to being based here, as opposed to being this is the place where you get the expertise on building electric vehicles and batteries for electric vehicles. I think that's a real concern with this program. There might be a solution insofar as uh, it's been proposed many times that temporary foreign workers have a path to citizenship. So this is where we're going to build electric vehicles and the batteries that run them. If the expertise is going to come from overseas, let's invite the expertise to become Canadian citizens through all the appropriate channels uh, and, and keep that expertise here. There's a lineup of temporary foreign workers wanting to tell you about their experience now here, Aaron, <laughs> about that path uh, to residency here. It is frustrating, and some of them uh, experience very difficult living conditions and working conditions while they're here on farms, at least. Uh, but what do you think, Jen? Uh, the Premier reasoning uh, why foreign workers are coming into the Stellantis battery plant, disappointing conservatives. Yeah, I mean, you talk about dissonance going on between the provincial and federal conservatives. You know there's something stinky going on when there's dissonance within the provincial conservatives themselves because it wasn't too long ago that the labor minister was saying, you know, what's going on here? We have Ontario workers who could do these jobs. And then today the premier is out saying, actually, no, uh, we need to bring in these foreign workers because they have the special expertise that our Ontario workers don't have. So my question is, which is it? And if you can't get your story straight, what is going on? Okay, I want to direct our attention to a story that uh, Bruce Arthur has in the Toronto Star, a column where Bruce imagines how the leader of the Conservative Party of Canada would respond to Preston Manning's advice on COVID. What are we doing here, Bruce? Oh, what are we doing here, Rashmi? So I'll... Uh, Jason Microsoft CBC noted that uh, about a year and a half ago, Preston Manning created an imaginary report uh, uh, involving COVID and the response to it and what we should learn from it that imagined people in Canada rising up against public health measures. You forget how scary this stuff was back in the day. Um, and then the government of Alberta paid him a quarter million dollars and paid over $2 million for a report about what they should learn from COVID. And he, if you boil it all down, there's, all, there's over 100 pages. If you boil it all down, the most important part is this. Preston talks about 
um, strengthening communication from government to the public, uh, redefining and clarifying roles of who's in charge of what in a public health emergency. That stuff's all good. Um, there's all kinds of smart stuff about that to further prepare governments in case and when, in fact, there's another public health emergency. But here's the trick is after all of that, he says, we also probably because people were inconvenienced the last time, we should make it so no public health order can be implemented until it's been tested in the courts. So anybody, Pierre Poilievre loves to talk about gatekeepers, removing gatekeepers. Preston Manning wants to make any Bob, Sue, or Maureen a gatekeeper as to whether or not we as a society protect public health in the case of an emergency. It's astonishing. It's basically a report that is a polite version of a convoy meeting. Um, and the fact that Preston Manning created this nonpartisan report and sent it immediately to conservative allies up until and including Pierre Poilievre, whose ideological mentality during COVID was very close to Preston's actually, maybe not quite as out there, but close. That tells you how the right has been radicalized in this country by the collective inconvenience of a generation-defining pandemic. And it's going to be real bad for our country if that's the thinking that wins the day. Jen, Aaron, the entire column is written as Bruce Arthur imagining Pierre Poilievre. This is the subject is regarding freedom from many things. How what, what words do you think are included in this column? The word common must show up. Any other ideas? I mean, I like that Bruce is now calling uh, this whole thing a polite version of a convoy meeting. That's hilarious. <laughs> I really I'm so glad you brought this up, Rashmi, just because I wanted to hear Bruce Arthur talk about this column on the air today. Um, I think it's clever. Um, and I also think that it is uh, <laughs> like cast your mind back to that moment when we when COVID was scary, when people were locked down Ugh. and when the debate about what needed to happen next on COVID was happening in real time. It was like things things were moving fast. The, yeah. the lockdown conditions were changing almost hour by hour as we were getting new science and new advice. And we're up against the clock <laughs> now, Aaron. I'm sorry, but everyone go and read Bruce's column in The Star. I am so much happier to be here reading his version of Pierre Poilievre's response. Appreciate you all, Jen, Bruce, and Aaron. That's our Smart Speaker series.